Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. God hates divorce because of what divorce does. Children in homes where mom and dad are divorced. They've done studies. These are not Christian studies, but it, it validates and authenticates everything that we're, we're told in Scripture and the Word of God. The destruction, the damage, lifelong, because of that split, what it does to the children. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Thessalonians. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will share with you about what the Bible has to say about disciplining children. The Bible teaches us that when children are disobedient, they should be punished. But this doesn't mean punishment is just any way someone deems it worthy. A child is to be disciplined only with the rod of correction. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. God is ferociously protective of His church. And if someone poses a threat of harm to His church, God takes that very seriously. I'm going to take it a step further. I'll back it up by Scripture. But I would suggest that this issue of troublemakers within the church rises to the level of an abomination in the sight of God. An abomination. Yeah, an abomination. It's not a word we use much in our vocabulary these days. It's abominable. Not only is it an abomination, God hates it. God hates you. I thought God, would, God is love. He is. But He hates this. You know when Jesus says God hates divorce? Never think for a second that God hates the divorce. No, God hates divorce. Why? Because of what divorce does to the divorced. You follow me? Why does God hate this? Because of what it does to his people. Why is this an abomination? Because of what it does to those whom he loves. That's why. Proverbs chapter 6. We just finished the book of Proverbs. We will start, not sure when, but listen to verse 12, Proverbs 6. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit, in his heart, he is always stirring up conflict. 
You know, there are some people that, I mean, it's, that's just who they are. Everywhere they go, they're causing problems. They're stirring up trouble. They're stirring up conflict. It's like they, they wake up in the morning and they, they, they're not happy unless they can get into an argument on social media because it's an adrenaline rush. There's also some other chemicals too, dopamine and others that are at play there. No, for real. And they get off on it. They, they thrive on it. They, they love it. They live for it. And that's why they do it. Verse 15, Therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Why? If God's so loving, why? Because he's protecting the innocent from that. Verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Here they are. The seventh is an abomination. Here's the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and number six, a false witness who pours out lies. I'll get to the seventh. Hang on. I want to talk about number six just for a second here. Someone who falsely accuses another, bearing false witness, lying, God takes that very seriously, by the way. And those who do such a thing will not go unpunished. You know why? I'll tell you why. It's because God knows firsthand what it's like to be on the receiving end of this. Let me explain. The first sin was not in the garden with Adam and Eve. The first sin was in heaven with Lucifer. The division, the striving, Satan exalting himself, I will ascend my throne above the Most High. Slander, the conflict, the lie from the father of lies, the sin. God was sinned against first. And look what it did to the heavenly host. That was the first official church split, if you can see it like that and say it like that. In heaven, it split heaven. Ah, Getting back to the marriage analogy. God hates divorce because of what divorce does. Children in homes where mom and dad are divorced, 
They've done studies. These are not Christian studies, but it, it validates and authenticates everything that we're, we're told in Scripture, in the Word of God. The destruction, the damage, lifelong, because of that split, what it does to the children, um, especially in the teen years. When there's a divorce in a home, and that child is in those formative young years as a teenager, it is devastating. And that's why God hates it. And that's why God wants to protect us from it. And He knows firsthand all about it. And that's why it's an abomination, number seven, when a person stirs up conflict among the brethren, causes problems within the church, is a troublemaker, looking for a fight, online, going back and forth. You know, I I guess this is probably as good of a time as any. I, I think I brought this up in a prophecy update a couple, three weeks ago. I just kind of lost it a little bit. Not a little bit, I actually lost it a lot, but you're a very gracious and forgiving group of people. You have to be if you come to this church, but I just I, I just lost it because, you know, we're living in a day like no other time in history. It's the likes of which we've never known before and likely will never know again. And the Lord's return is just nearer than we could ever imagine. And what are Christians doing? Arguing. Arguing. It makes this heartbreaking. They're arguing with the saved instead of reaching the lost. And, and Satan is like loving it, man. He could take the day off because you're doing his work for him. He can just kick back and watch the show. It's like Paul writing to Timothy. You've been taken captive as a Christian by the devil to do his bidding, do his will. Come to your senses. He's pleading with them. Come to your senses. What are you doing? You know, I've shared this, and I, I'm so thankful, and the Lord knows my heart. And I, I think those of you that know me also know my heart when I say this. And I often say about how amazing this church is, and how much I love you, and how rare it is that a pastor <laughs> can actually say that and mean it. You know, the, the statistics bear it out, and it used to be 1,500 pastors would leave the ministry every month. Now it's 1,700. Every month, 1,700 pastors step down and leave the ministry. Granted, some are rightfully because of moral failure, understandably. But you might be surprised to know that the majority, the vast majority of pastors who leave the ministry do so because of church conflict. You know, as a parent, uh, when your children are fighting, how does that make you feel? 
I mean, my, my children know. My wife knows. I mean, to me, it's... And as I get older, just hear me out, please. I, I know I'm going off message here a little bit, but maybe this is for somebody here today or watching online. As I get older, my, my children are now, of course, growing up. And, but when they were younger and they would fight, I, I would just cry out to the Lord, just, please, God, please. It just, it would just it it just ripped me to shreds, man. You know what? As they get older, and it's, thankfully, you know, I I have a sibling, I have a sister, a younger sister, and man, growing up, we we were oh, I was I was such a mean brother. I was so mean to her. I think I'm still apologizing to her, but. But I remember my mom wisely saying, wisely saying, you know, when you get older, you're you're gonna be close. But when you're young, it's like you know? and now when there's a conflict between my children, I just break down and cry. And it works because then they see me crying and they stop. I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. That, that, it worked. Why didn't I think of that when I was younger? You know, when I was younger, I was like, ah, I'd get in the mix and I'd make it worse. Now I just, oh, God. And they just look at me and go, oh, look what we just did to Baba. He's all broken up and crying. And so they stop. And I'm like, so I cry a lot now. <laughs> it really works. No, it's just, it's so, so heartbreaking. Because I love them so much. How much more our Heavenly Father, when He sees His children that He loves so much, fighting with one another, arguing stupid stuff. It's stupid stuff. (sighs) Okay. I want to end on an encouraging note. So, I'll close with how the Apostle Paul brought this second letter to a close with a word of encouragement. Notice in verse 13, he tells them to never tire of doing what is good. I like that. The implication is is that they they were getting weary. This was a battle weary church. I mean, they had a lot of stuff happening. There was a lot of Persecution from without, a lot of striving and conflict from within. They were getting it from all ends, all sides. He said, you're doing good, just hang in there. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus had John write to the Church of Philadelphia, recorded in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I know you have little strength. (laughs) You're just barely hanging on by a thread. Just hang on. You've, you've kept my word, you've not denied my name, and I'm going to keep you from the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. In verse 16, he actually prays for them. This is true to form with the Apostle Paul, and he prays that God would give them peace at all times. That peace that only God can give. Jesus says, I've come to give you peace but it's here's the thing, it's not the peace that the world gives or has to offer. This is a whole different 
ball game. This is on a whole nother level. Because the peace that I want to give you is not predicated upon things in your life going well. The peace that I want to give you, Paul says, surpasses human understanding. It's incomprehensible. It's unfathomable. Everything around you can just be, I mean, chaos. And yet, the peace that I have for you can keep you just rock solid and steady. Unmoved. That's the peace. And then in verse 18, and I love this, and we have to admit that we can be guilty of dismissing this. Dismissing what? God's grace. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Have you heard that saying? It's all of grace. The grace of God. Try to define grace. Oh, we say it's unmerited favor. That doesn't even scratch the surface. Unmerited favor. You think that's all grace is? No. <laughs> you, you, the grace of God. All-encompassing. Inexhaustible incomprehensible, the grace of God. Let me close with Ephesians 1. I love this. Verses 7 through 10. Listen to this. In Him, in Christ, we have, look at all this that we have, (laughs) redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. He just lavishes us. Think about as an earthly parent, you lavish your children. You spoil them. I'm a spoiled, not rotten. I'm a, I'm, I'm, God, you're too much. You're just, you're, you're too, you, you just spoil me. I, I, you're spoiling me for you. God ruins us for Him. He lavishes us with His grace and it ruins us for anything else. When you've tasted of that cup, you're ruined. <laughs> Taste of the Lord and see that He is good when you've tasted from the cup of God's grace. That's it. It changes everything. It changes you. You're saved by grace. How's that? That's how you're saved. By grace. It gets better. (laughs) With all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
When Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, he tells them, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is just a taste, a foreshadow of what's to come. Why? Because he lavishes us with his grace. His grace. One last thing. Did I say one last thing yet? Okay, this is the this will be the only last thing then. <laughs> Think about this. When you've been on the receiving end of God's grace, I mean, if God would have given you what you deserve, you wouldn't be here. Neither would I. And that's what, as one said, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, and mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. I'll take both. Where do I sign? When you've been on the receiving end of God's grace, Shouldn't that have the much-needed effect of extending grace to others in the way that you treat others? Okay, this won't be the last, last. Here's the last, last one. I'm going to draw upon an illustration from my marriage early on. My wife and I this year have been married for 32 years, but I better not forget that one. Early on in our marriage, I was so pious, so spiritually proud, and I was really a jerk. That's probably the best word I can think of. And I mean, I was holding a grudge against my wife. And the Lord got a hold of me and says to me, what are you doing? What do you mean? Why why are you doing that? Well, do you know what she did? It's like the Lord's gone. Do you know what you did? Oh, yeah. Do I need to remind you? I'm going to. <laughs> this is back in the day before email. This is the 80s. I know, a long time ago. So this is in the days of fax machines. No, stay with me. This is... This is what the Lord had to do to get my attention. It was this this image of him faxing me the list of everything. And I mean that thing. You know those those old fax machines that have the rolled thermal paper? You had to keep reloading it because the thing just kept, you know, you know, and here's this long scroll. Well, that got me. That's called grace. It's called grace. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Our time with you is coming to an end today, but that doesn't mean you have to stop learning from God's Word. We encourage you to read the Bible yourself. Each book holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you. Are you part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family can be a source of support and comfort, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. 
This is also a place you can serve and encourage others too, and where you can be challenged to dive deeper into your relationship with Christ. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more and get directions at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings, as well as his Mideast prophecy updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of salvation there, a great way to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. That's all available at our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time for more from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth. Holding me true to